if you were to look at the book of Acts, we would see how Paul explains how Jesus transformed him from being a religious terrorist who was out murdering Christians to becoming a Christian missionary. That's a pretty huge U-turn in life. And he details, Paul details his vision for this life that Jesus gave him. He concludes it, and it's going to come on your screen by saying this in Acts 26, 19. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. He says, I've not been disobedient to the vision that God gave me. In the message translation, the paraphrase, Paul said it more like this. What else could I do, King Agrippa? I couldn't just walk away from a vision like that, so I obeyed it. So I want to help all of us, myself included, particularly as we look at the unofficial start to a new year. Always happens in September. I want to help you get to a place where you're able to say the same thing one day. That when you stand before God and give an account for your life, I want us all to be able to say this. I fulfilled the vision that you gave me for my life. You can't fulfill that life's vision, of course, until you first see it. And then you understand it. To be honest, we can't fulfill a church's vision, our vision at Renfrew, until we understand our own personal vision. There just isn't a fit. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says this, Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. They're wild. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Well, an unclear vision leads to three things. It leads to indecision, division, and collision. Let me talk about those. James 1 verse 8 says this, Such a person is double-minded. They're unstable in all they do. Without a vision for the future, you're just drifting. You just wander. You ramble through life. You're not really living. You're just existing. And maybe a lot of us have felt that in COVID. We don't really have a goal, we don't really have a purpose, we don't have a plan, we don't have meaning, we just kind of let life happen to us. Maybe we're not even sure what day it is today. Well, the second thing is, without vision for our life, it always leads to division. People start going in in different directions and different ways, they start to get divided. If you aren't sure where you're headed, then don't expect anyone else to go with you. Or, if you're single, to marry you. To agree with you or to partner with you because everyone's just going to head off in a different direction because no one has a clear path. This lack of a clear vision is one of the causes for all the division that we're seeing in our world. Here's an interesting verse from Proverbs, and the author of Proverbs writes a ton about vision. Proverbs 28, verse 2, once again in the message translation, it says this, when a country is in chaos, everyone has a plan to fix it. Doesn't that sound true? We're all going in different ways. We're all going in different directions. There's division. 
but it takes a leader of real understanding to straighten things out. Vision is always the answer to division. In other words, without a clear direction for your life, it's inevitable at some point you're going to crash into some kind of dead end. There's going to be a collision. For many people, when you think of, uh, of it, and I've met a lot of people, life is just a series of collisions. There's relationship collisions. There's confrontations. There's financial crisis, personal crisis. Just one after another, they go from one dead-end relationship to the next or from one dead-end job to the next. They kind of view life as a bumper car ride. You just keep bumping into everyone else until you get hit from all sides. The Bible warns us, and I love what Paul said there to start us off today. I fulfilled the vision that God said, but the Bible warns us about not following God's vision for our life. 1 Timothy 1.19 says this, Holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. That's a collision. A shipwreck is a collision. Having a vision for your life requires hard work. That's why a lot of people don't have one. It requires faith. It requires thinking. It requires prayer, seeking God. We're going to talk about all those things in this series. If you just make up a vision for your life, well, there's really no better way than you might as well just keep coasting. When you want what is God's vision for your life, then you start to see things clearly You have eyes of faith rather than eyes of fear. In the Bible, Jesus had a ton to talk about when he talked about vision. He talked about blindness. In fact, blindness is also a metaphor for having a closed mind in the Bible. When he talks about people who are blind, he's talking about being, having their minds closed. They're not open to new ideas. They're not open to what God has to say. Matthew 6, 22 and 23 is a verse we're going to keep coming back to on, in this series, just about vision, transforming our own vision. The eye is the lamp for the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is within you, is darkness. How great is that darkness? Jesus is saying that if you don't really see things clearly, correctly, truthfully, you may think you're living in the light, but you're not. You're really living in darkness, and you're missing out on all the wonderful things that God has in store for you and for your future because you just can't see it. You've all heard the expression, what you see is what you get. We're going to look at the implications of that idea through many scripture verses throughout this series. Today, I want us to go back to an Old Testament story that involves Moses and the Jewish slaves. Look in your Bibles, go to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, okay? So find, if you have your Bibles, find Numbers 13 and 14. Moses and the Jewish slaves have been freed by God from 400 years of slavery, Here's the background as you're looking for it. 
In the book of Numbers, God has promised that he would free slaves and put them back in their homeland. He calls it the promised land. Great name. I'm going to set you free from Egypt and I'm going to take you to the promised land. What the promised land represented for these people was their future. It was their inheritance. It was to become the land of Israel. Now, after crossing the desert, which represents kind of cluelessness, they've gone through the Red Sea, they've done the desert, they've freed slaves, they've come to the edge of the promised land. And Moses chooses 12 representatives. Makes sense, he chooses one from every tribe to go ahead of everyone else, so equal representation, and spy out the land. And he says this, I want you to go in, I want you to check it all out, sneak in, check it all out, and return with a vision. It's a fact-finding mission. In other words, it's a vision trip. And Moses says this, go into this new land that represents our future and find out everything you can. Find out everything about it. Then come back and let's get going. If you have your Bibles, Numbers 13, verse 17. It'll be on the screen behind me too. Numbers 13, verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go through the Negev and on into the hill country. See, observe what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kinds of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled? Are they fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It's an interesting little passage of Scripture. Why did he send these spies on this vision trip? Here's the reason, and I need you to listen to this. If you're a leader, you need to really listen to this. Before people can succeed with a goal, they have to see the goal. We can only only accomplish the impossible if we first see it in our minds. You have to imagine it. You have to see it. Sometimes you have to taste it. But you have to visualize it. Now, let's keep reading. Keep your fingers there. Numbers 13, verse 21. So they went up. They explored the land. When they reached the valley, they cut off a branch because they remember him saying, bring back something, bearing a single cluster of grapes. Here's a crazy story in the Bible. Two of them carried it on a pole between them. Do you have the image of how huge these grapes are? Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. The promised land was so fruitful. It was so prosperous. They're bringing back giant fruit. This is supernatural. This is why it's called the promised land. Look at verse 25. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community. They reported to them and to the whole assembly. And the two guys carrying the grapes on the big stick hold it up 
and show everybody the fruit of the land. Now, all of this sounds amazing, but there's a problem. It has to do with what they see. That's why we're starting with this story. Two of the spies, there were 12, remember the 12 tribes, two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, looked at their future with eyes of faith. But the other 10, the other 10, do the math, 80 some percent of them looked at their future with the eyes of fear. Maybe you're like me. You're looking at the start of this school year, September, this unofficial start, with eyes of fear rather than eyes of faith. I mean, after we experienced 2020, should we really be expecting anything different? Are we just expecting the same? How will this year make all the difference in the world compared to last year? Now, you know the story. Looking at the future with fear, which 10 out of the 12 spies did, causes all kinds of trouble. Here's what happens when you and I look at this new year, where we look at the future with fear instead of faith. The very first one. I, oh, I always overemphasize the negative. When I have fear in my life, I always overemphasize the negative. When I look at the future and I fear, I, or I always emphasize the negative in my life. Look back at your Bibles, verse 27 and 28. So they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are so powerful. Their cities are fortified and they're very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Who knows who the descendants are, but they're really powerful. That's why they got brought up. When you overemphasize over the negative, it always creates stress in your life. When you're looking at everything with fear, when you worry that the glass is always half empty, instead of being happy and grateful, the glass is still half full. We look at what we have left, not what we've lost. Of course, life is filled with negatives. Everything is broken by sin on this earth. Not all the news is positive. But you have a choice in choosing what you're going to focus on, what you're going to emphasize. So the spies, 10 brought back a conflicting news report. Two of them had eyes of faith. By the way, I think the ratio in news is probably the same today. 80% is probably negative and 20% is positive. Experts tell us that negative news spreads about 10 times faster on social media than positive news. So I just focus on the negative. Here's the second thing that, that a lack of, of faith and vision has. I pay too much attention to what others are doing. Look at back at Numbers 13, verse 29. This group lives in Negev, the Hittites, the Amorites live in the hill country, the, Can the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Well, what's, 
What's the importance with this verse? It's very simple. It's a scarcity mentality. There won't be enough for us this year. All the good land is already taken by other tribes. There's really no room for us in this promised land. There aren't enough resources for anyone. Sounds a lot like this past year, doesn't it? Man, there's no toilet paper. If I see it, I'll buy five for my family, okay? There's not enough. I just need to worry about myself. Why did God bring me here? If you look at this upcoming year with eyes of fear, you're going to develop a scarcity mentality. It's going to create stress in your life. There's never enough. And you'll say, all the good experiences are gone. All the good jobs are gone. All the good houses are already bought. All the good husbands are married. You're going to look with fear instead of faith. The third thing, when we look at a future with fear instead of faith, I always underestimate the abilities that God's given me. You see, seeing life with with eyes of fear always causes me to bury my talents. We know the stories that Jesus told. If you go back to Numbers 13, verse 31, it says this, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They're way stronger than us. They have a vision based on fear, not faith. It's going to limit you. You're going to miss opportunities. You're going to waste talent that God's given you. And you're going to set yourself up with self-fulfilling and self-defeating predictions or prophecies. This happened all throughout the pages of Scripture. Job in in Job 3.25 said this, What I have always feared has happened to me. And what I dreaded now has come true to me. Let me ask you a really personal question. What are you setting yourself up to for this fall? What are you setting yourself up to in regards to your attitude? How are you seeing yourself? Are you looking at your abilities as I'm inadequate, I'm incapable? Are you looking in fear or in faith? Go back to Numbers. Look at verse 32 and 33. They did really well. They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Maybe they pointed to the grapes. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. You see what they're saying here? We see ourselves as insects waiting to be devoured. That the devour actually in Hebrew actually means to eat up. And they said we saw ourselves. Notice that sentence. We saw ourselves and we looked the same to them. They're projecting their fear on others. That's one of the problems of a fear-based vision is you project your fears on everyone else. If you think you look a certain way, you think everyone else looks that way too. Well, let's keep moving a couple more. If we operate in fear instead of faith, the fourth one, I infect others with my negativity. Do you know that fear is contagious? 
Parents, we can pass on fear to our kids and it can be passed on from generation to generation. Verse 32, we've read it already. They spread a bad report about the land they explored. Of course they didn't keep it to themselves. This is what happens when we get afraid. We start talking trash. We start talking negative. We start complaining. We start griping. This is, by the way, the Bible tells you not to hang out with negative people. In Proverbs, it says many times, don't hang out with scoffers and cynics. Don't hang out with negative people, critics or complainers. Then the fifth one. If you don't have eyes of faith and you operate with fear, I make myself miserable. Go to Numbers 14. Verse 1, this really sums up the heart of the story. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt, or at least in the wilderness. That's very important for us, that verse. Because you can know that you're looking at your life with eyes of fear when there's four warning lights that show up in, your, in the verse of your life. My dad will be watching this. He told me that he had all six of his emergency lights on in his car coming home from radium. He was lucky he made it home. I'm not looking at the future with eyes of faith. I'm looking at fear. You see, there's four things when we simply do that. The miserableness. We have great sadness. They cried all night. Guess what else it says? They complain. That's the second thing. The third is we start second-guessing leaders. Moses, Aaron, why did you do this? We wish you hadn't led us here. You're doing a lousy job leading us. You want to go backwards. Verse, that's the fourth thing. Our miserableness always comes with, you know what, let's just go back to where we were. I know it was terrible, but at least it was okay. Well, what's the antidote? This is just an introduction this morning. But we need to develop a life of faith. And in that, we'll actually understand what God called us to. There were two guys who were in the minority. Two guys who eventually got to go into the promised land. The rest of them actually died in the desert. That should be a warning for us. Numbers 13, verse 30. Here's what Caleb said in faith. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. He said, let's do it right now. Let's stop defeating ourselves. Let's do it. You defeat fear, not with arguing amongst yourself about your fear. You always defeat fear with movement. Not by discussing it, not by focusing on it, but by doing it. Numbers 14, 6 through 9 says this, and this is a great way to end our story. Joshua said this, Joshua, son of Nun, verse 6, and Caleb, son of a great name, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. 
If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land. A land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Verse 9, only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid because we will devour them. Their protection is gone because the Lord is with us. One plus God is always a majority. God plus you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now here's the problem. Sadly, they chose to believe the majority report of fear, not the minority report of faith. And they all died in the desert over the next 40 years until a new generation grew up and they would be allowed to go into the promised land. Here's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It's in Hebrews 3, 19, and it says this. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Oof. What blessing of God am I missing out on? What blessing of God am I personally missing out on because of my unbelief? If God were to show up here and look at everything that I've done in my life, maybe he would see someone who operated so much out of fear rather than faith. Are you looking at the future with eyes of fear or eyes of faith? So here's the first step this week. I want you to stop listening to your feelings and stop looking in fear and start living in faith. Believe that God's going to help you in this new year. I'll end with this story. It's a simple story. Jesus had some friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were two sisters and a brother. Lazarus died. Jesus raised him back to life. And when he did, he reminded Mary and Martha in John chapter 11, verse 40, a really simple promise. Didn't I tell you, you will see God's glory if you believe? Didn't I tell you that nothing is impossible with God if you believe? So here's my question. How badly do you want to see God's glory in your life this fall? Stop nursing your worries. They're just going to get bigger. Start making commitments of faith. Let me pray, God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love and adore you. We worship you. As we walk into this week, give us the eyes to see the things that you see. Help us operate, not in fear, but in faith. And may we bring you all the glory. Thank you for bringing us together as a church, whether we're here in person or watching online. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.